Well, good morning. Welcome to Lifestone Church. We are so glad that you're here. Um, we are going through the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 6. Um, let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Um, God, I, I thank you for a beautiful day. I thank you for a day to, uh, an opportunity to gather with other people who are seeking after you, who love you. Um, God, I pray that as your word is spoken, Lord, I pray that your truth would come out. Um, and, and God, we pray that you're honored in all things that we do here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, I'm excited about chapter 6. If you've been with us, um, very quickly, Paul, this guy who, who has an incredible life transformation when he encounters Jesus, from persecuting, torturing, trying to do away with, put to death followers of Jesus to becoming uh, just a champion for following Jesus and, and, and really one of the most uh, influential people in Christian history. And he writes over uh, about uh, two-thirds of the New Testament, just incredible. And, and Romans is his book, uh, really, and that's what it is. Usually we get letters from him. Here's a, a book saying this is the Christian faith. And he writes it to this church in Rome, and, and we've walked through it, and, and uh, I love how it just so clearly, there's just no confusion about what the Christian faith is, about who Jesus is, about how we respond to that, what our role is in, in this whole thing. And, and, and that's what we've been walking through, and, and when, we, when we run into chapter 6, uh, it, it's, it's after discovering the bad news, he really opens it up, <clears throat> the, the book that he writes here, saying there's some really, really, really bad news. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. If you think you're good, you're really not. If you know that you're bad, yeah, you are bad. If you're really religious, you might be blinded and think you're good enough to be right before God. But all of us, every single person falls incredibly short of God's goodness and glory. And we need a Savior. And he does it all. His work on the cross and what he has accomplished is the complete payment, the full payment. We can't add anything to it. We can't take anything away from it. We either accept it or reject it. And, and so he preaches that message, and then he starts unveiling the implications of it in our lives. And last week we looked at in chapter 5 of this whole concept that I really think a lot of believers find themselves in, that they feel like their Christianity is dead and they feel like it really hasn't made that big of an impact. And they're, they're kind of glad that now they have this assurance of heaven. But now, living life now with Jesus, what does that mean? How does that make a difference? And, and, and I love um, <clears throat> how Paul says, God wants to live and work through your life. That it's not just, okay, Jesus uh, forgives my sin and now my slate is wiped clean. That's not Christianity. It's not that our slate is wiped clean and we're forgiven. We're credited, credited, I got so excited I couldn't say the word. We're credited the righteousness of Jesus. And we can't boast, it's nothing we did. That's grace, giving us something we didn't earn, we didn't deserve. And so um, what, what does that mean? We're righteous enough, we're holy enough, and God wants to live and work through us. And... Uh, and so a lot of people, I think, sometimes they just think, I'm, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven, and they don't experience the Holy Spirit and Jesus working and moving through your life and guiding your life. Um, 
And so we talked about that a lot uh, last week. So I kind of want to pick up, um, first of all, to give you an overall theme. Um, Jesus gave his life for me, and I have to point out my mistake. Jesus gave his life for me to take my life from me so he could life his life through me. Okay, live his life through me. That that is kind of where we are and what God wants to do. And, and the impl- the, all the implications that Paul is kind of slowly walking us through. And, the, and, and he repeats himself enough where we can't go, but do you really mean this? Um, and so I love that, that it's kind of reiterated time and time again. Um, let me pick up in Romans, the very end of chapter 5, so we can see where Paul is going. Because he's answering a question that he assumes you're going to ask after what he's revealed in chapter 5. So uh, at the end of chapter 5, just two verses, it says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. And like I said, here's something you see him say again and again in other letters he's written. He says it in Romans several times. The purpose of the law is to show us, it's like a mirror. It's a school teacher, as scripture says. It shows us, it reveals to us that we fall short of God's standard. Uh, But as people sinned more and more, there's a reason this is underlined, more and more God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Even though there is an incredible amount of rebellion and sin against God, God's grace is enough. And it's sufficient, and it is greater than the sin of the world. But then he goes, oh, wait, I know this, this would be strange, I think. <laughs> I wonder if Paul thinks this. <clears throat> Maybe not, because I think he's seen it happen. That you might come to this kind of strange conclusion. And so we pick up in Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and it's kind of the, the title of the message here is, If I'm forgiven... Why change? Like, like, hey, if I don't have anything to do with it, and now I've been set free, and, and I know I'm going to heaven, I, do I get kind of a free pass to kind of live however I want to? And I've heard a lot of people kind of try to make that argument. So he, he says that. Here's where you're probably going to ask. If grace increases, when sin increases, Romans 6.1, well, then should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more his wonderful grace? Um, and you've seen some, there's some weird uh, uh, people who are claiming to follow Jesus that have come up with this kind of teaching. And they've said, you know what, we should actually go out of our way to sin because then it makes God look really good. Because basically, here's the idea. I mean, God loves sinners, right? So let's keep being sinners. Um, My job's to sin. God's job is to forgive, I'm going to do really good at my job. I'm going to work really hard so that his grace, and it'll just show how awesome his grace is. And we see this practiced in some of the early churches, some people having this twisted thinking of like, I'm going to try to do something so perverse and evil and weird that it's going to show, then I can proclaim, yeah, I did this weird perverse thing. I'm in this weird perverse whatever relationship. Uh, um, but God forgives me still. Um, it's just a strange way. It reminded me of this cartoon. 
you guys remember this? <laughs> like, I don't know how old this is. It was so strange, such a weird relationship and dynamic where they're like, this is my job. I'm clocking in. The sheepdog with Sam and Ralph, remember? And they would clock in, and they viewed it as their job. Like, he had to guard the sheep, and then Coyote was trying to, try to steal the sheep. And, and then they would clock out, and it was like, okay, we're done. And they were like, they would just go hang out and go fishing or whatever. Remember that? It was just like, that's weird. Well, this is kind of a weird way of thinking, I think. Like, okay. That's my job. My job's to sin. God's job's to forgive. I'll just work on my job. No. So, so what's so sad, these leaders who have tried to twist Scripture to try to present that view, and, and really, I mean, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get away with or excuse themselves, excuse what they want to do. But Romans 2 is so clear. Romans 6, 2. He goes on to say, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? It's, it's not like a permission thing. Well, hey, if I could get away with it, now I'm okay. But no, you've died to sin. You have a whole new relationship with sin. You view sin completely differently. You've been exposed to truth now. You have the Holy Spirit living in your life that convicts you and, and, and shows you what God desires. You, you desire the things of God. God has given you, taken your heart of stone and now given it uh, made it into a heart of flesh. You're sensitive to the things of God and things that are, that are good and, and, and evil, and, and you understand the implications of sin. Now, this, this was uh, new and helpful for me when I first became a, a believer, that, that I viewed sin for what it really was. Instead of, of something I'm missing out on, and, oh, man, those fun weekends when we used to just do whatever and we didn't care and it was all about us and we're just trying to get a thrill. Instead of thinking, ah, oh, now I'm a believer, I, I'm missing out on something, I viewed sin for what it really was, deception that really causes pain and heartache and anguish and death and destroys relationships and, and, and put... Jesus, who loved me so much that he came here, went to a cruel cross, went through pain and agony and humiliation because of his love for me and for the world. That's what sin does. And I'm just an idiot, and I'm deceived, and I'm easily deceived into thinking I'm missing out by not indulging in it. So... Um, just viewing sin not as, and I think I've run into a lot of Christians like, well, they still are like, sin's awesome. And, and the Bible's very honest. Sometimes it, it'll say, hey, sin is fun. Now, I never see that on like a bumper sticker, or like you walk into someone's home, sin is fun. The Bible says that though. But it also follows that by saying for a season. That yeah, it, it, there, there's some, if there was no tempting element, <laughs> But to know the full ramifications, to get the full picture of what it does and how it destroys, um, that's what Paul is saying. You're dead to that now. You have a different understanding. You have a different perspective. And the Holy Spirit is guiding and working you to know that truth. So he says, put that stupid idea out of your head. <laughs> and I say that because really the Greek, when he says, of course not, it's, it's put that way with an explanation Mark, uh, in, the, in the New Living Translation that I'm reading, 
um, because he's saying it strongly. That is, don't, that, that's an absurd way to think and to twist what God has done in your life. So number one, if we died to sin, we shouldn't live to it any longer. That that is the position we put it in, that we, we understand the implications of it, and we understand what God has done in our life, that we're dead to that now. Our relationship, like I said, to sin has changed. We understand that it brings death, that it destroys relationships. Um, our perspective is different. Romans 6, uh, 3 now, he goes on to say, Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, you were joined uh, we joined him in his death. And this may sound really familiar. This passage is read a lot during baptisms because it re- references bap- uh, baptism, but it's kind of not directly. It's really reminding people. And that's the thing like, oh, yeah, our thinking is different now. God's changed the way I, I perceive things now. So um, have you forgotten? Like, okay, I, I know you kind of slip into your old mode. Do you do that? You know, like, oh, you know, I came on Sunday or I was reading the Bible. I went to this Bible study and I learned this. And then I just went back to, you know, what I do. And I'm at work and I'm with my buddies or friends or family or coworkers or whatever. And I just slip back into old way of thinking. And, and Paul, as we keep going in Romans, he'll point that out, that that's so important to remind ourselves. That's why, that's why God says, don't forsake the gathering of yourself. Like, continually be connected to my truth and to other people who are going to help encourage you and remind you and edify you and, and draw you back to what's true because it's easy to drift. Paul's like, have you forgotten? For, and then goes on in verse 4, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. It's not just that our slate is clean. That now God wants to live in and through us. How does that work? That's crazy. Like, God wants to now reside in us. But that, that sounds like, if I were to think, like, where on earth someone, that sounded weird, where on earth, but that's what I mean, like, where on this earth would God live? It would be, it would be like in a temple, Right? Like, that's what, you, you would have to make, like, a real fancy place. And when we look at the Old Testament, we see a picture of God, his presence uh, among his chosen people is, is in, uh, first, this kind of mobile tabernacle, and then they build a temple, and there's all these, these details of how to build this temple, and the presence of God is, is, is in this temple. And, and so, so, but you're saying God wants to live in me. And that's the Christian message. It's so radical that, that, oh, we're the temple. That's what scripture teaches, right? That we become the temple of God. Isn't that crazy? Oh, but, I, but I'm not a fancy, like, holy, sanctified building or, you know, sacred place. Oh, but you are. If you've received grace and forgiveness through Christ. That's what Jesus does. He makes you holy. He makes you worthy, perfect in a, in a standing before God so that he can live in us. And then the Bible says that we are living temples. We're, we're not temples made with human hands, but we're, we, we, are, uh, we, we become the temples of God, but that's only possible because what uh, Christ has done. All right, 
get back to the passage here. I get excited about that. Um, Romans, uh, where are we? I forgot my place. It's all right. Singing helps me remember. (laughs) Verse 1. All right, verse 5. Let's go to 5. It says, oh, that we may live new lives. That's my point. So God, two services. It'll do that to you, right? So the Holy Spirit lives through us. That's what he wants to do. He, He resides in us, and he actually empowers us, motivates us, guides us, lives through us. Verse 5, he says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And Paul, man, he just overexplains, and I overlove it because we're dead to it. We've been crucified with it. Um, Oh, yeah, this whole baptism theme. That's where, that's where my, yeah, started thinking about tech being in the national championship. My dad and my wife's dad uh, both are tech grads, Texas tech grads, so we're excited about them going to the national championship. Okay, so back to baptism. <laughs> we, we talk, uh, what is baptism? And he references this, that the, 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 the practice of people following Jesus and saying, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, I'm trusting in what you did. You're, you're resurrected, like, whoo, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. Like, that's, I, I believe that, I accept that. When they would do that, they would immediately go and be baptized to show that they've made that decision. And, and um, you know, here we celebrate a lot of baptisms, and, and a lot of times we talk about two aspects of, of the picture that that is. That being baptized isn't something that makes you right with God. It's just a proclamation that we're called and asked to do to say that we have accepted this free gift. But when you think it's something that you do to make you right with God, then you turn it into this, uh, this, this uh, necessary step, and you actually are trusting in your work, in your performance, in your ritual ceremony, in even a small way to make you right with God, totally distorts that Jesus did it all. He paid for it all. And then if you have that theology, we have a we we have you know history of, of people going, well, let's just, you know, let's just baptize everybody. Who cares what they believe or if they've accepted Jesus? Let's just line them up and let's just baptize. Hey, let's let's do it as soon as possible. As soon as they're, you know, when they're a baby and they're born, let's just get them baptized because that's what saves them. And that's and so that's kind of where that comes from. But um, but that, so we talk about these two things of what it symbolizes the picture that it shows so here's the picture that we're washed clean that jesus his um his blood uh, the bible says washes our sin away and then and then the second picture is that our old life as paul keeps saying is buried and dead and and jesus said you must be born again that that we as we put our trust in jesus we're given this new life that that our sinfulness makes us spiritually dead and we're all in that state but but if we accept this new life in christ we're born again and we're born to a new life so it's this picture good thing we don't use dirt right that would be weird that would be hard that would be difficult and dangerous so we use water to show the picture of someone being buried their old life is dead but they've come and they've been resurrected to a new life but the other thing that we, we don't talk that much about, it's a picture of being completely engulfed and submerged 
And, and that's the picture I think more Paul is pointing to in this baptism, that we are, when Christ comes into our life, he covers our life. And that, that when God views us, he views his son. Um, and so that's, that's the picture that we get, and that's who we are uh, in Christ. Um, so verse 5 goes on to say, Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful uh, selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. I'm sorry, I know I read that already. Number two, we have been united with Christ, so remain in him. And that, that's, that's the key in our relationship with Christ. We know that because that's what Jesus taught his inner circle to do. Before the last night of his life, before going to the cross, he wanted his followers to know one very important critical element. Remain in me. Well, what does that mean? And so he, would give, he gave an illustration. Like, hey, you guys live here in Jerusalem and you know what vineyards are all about. And so what you need to do is just remain and stay closely connected in relationship with me. How do we do that? Through prayer, through fellowship with other people, through, um, through following, through the Holy Spirit guiding. Remain in me, and then I will live through you, and you will bear fruit. But, but he says it 11 times in that last night. Remain in me, remain, 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 remain. 11 times, remain in me. And, and it goes along with this idea that we're to be united with Christ. Let me give you an illustration that we can all relate to. I am united to my wife. Um, that's a good description of marriage, right? We were united in, in wedlock. For 19 years, we've been united in marriage. Isn't that great? Yeah, go Ben. I don't know. When, everyone, when anyone ever says a number of how many years they've been married, like for some reason people start clapping, right? I just felt, I felt it. I am so lucky, lucky of how to remember how long we've been married because we were married in 2000. So whatever year it is, <laughs> that's how many years we've been married. But there's this weird thing. So before I got married, before I got engaged, I was dating other girls, I know you might be surprised, like actually another, some other girl would actually date me. Yeah, I know it's shocking that, you know, my wife would marry me, but I had other wife, other, whoa. <laughs> uh, whew. All right, let's pray and go. It's been a weird service. Okay. So I actually dated other girls before Kristen, and um, when we got married, I was like, hey, um, we're united, and I'm connected to you. Um, and I know that's pretty serious, this marriage thing. So here, here, here's my, let me bargain a little bit. If, if I could just keep dating women maybe five days out of the year, I will give you 360 days. And I just want like a work week vacation. All right? Is that, that's reasonable, right? I mean, that's like year one on the job. You get a week vacation. And so I want a week vacation and I'll go date some, some other girls I get that week. And she refused. Is that not ridiculous? Would you guys go talk to her after the service about this? She was like, no, 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 no. We are united. I was like, well, yeah. For like the, the vast majority of the... Fine. I'm reasonable. I can be a reasonable guy. I was like, my birthday. One day of the year, on my birthday, I can date some other woman. Okay. 
Is that, is that okay? 364 days of the year united with you. One day, and she didn't go for that either. And we do not think that's absurd, right? We're like, we understand what it means to be united in marriage and the faithfulness that we are committing to in that. And, and, and yet, I think we get confused when we, when we then try to apply that to us being united. When we've received this forgiveness and we've entered into this new relationship with, with God, we're united with Christ. And that means a complete, here, here's how many of us want to do it. We, I give you one, one day a week, God, that I kind of focus on you. I, you know, get up, go to church, and some people get to sleep in or whatever. And, and, but, but what does it mean to be united with Christ? It's everything. It's complete devotion to him. It's every area of our life. That, that we understand that in the marriage relationship, but... But it, as we're united with Christ, that's, that's huge. That, that's, that's okay. You're, and, and that's why we use this term, Jesus is Lord and Savior. I know that may sound uh, churchy or stained glass words or, you know, just that's, that's what preachers, you know, in the South, like, uh, Jesus needs to be your Lord and Savior. And what, is that, what does that mean? To be the Lord of my life is he's king. He's ruler. He, he's, he, he says, you know, jump, I say how high. Like he, why? Because I trust him. Not just for my salvation or eternity or heaven, but, but genuine faith makes a difference here in this world. And, and he's called me to live this, this abundant life here now through him. And so, you know, but sometimes we're just like, man, okay, you're Lord of my life, you're Savior, but, but not... Not, not at work, not, not in my relationships, not, not when I want to hold a grudge against someone and I don't want to forgive someone, not, no, oh, heavens no, not in my finances, you know. But, but that's what that means. It's, it's a strong calling and a united that he leads my life. And, and I know we, we just continually get stuck in this being tempted towards something that's not, allowing Christ to be completely in control of our lives. And we're thinking, well, that's, I've got a better way. I know you say this about relationships, about finances, about work, about whatever, but I think, I like what you say about heaven. I want that, but I got a better way with some of these other elements. But, but true life and true freedom comes in, in trusting and following God in all those areas. And we're united with Christ is the big point that, that, that Paul is making goes on to say um, in uh, chapter where are we chapter uh, six well we already read that let's jump to seven uh, Romans six seven says for when we died with Christ we were set free from the power of sin and since we died with Christ we now uh, I'm sorry we know we will also live with him we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. And so this beautiful passage, there's so many different theological elements that we could kind of develop in all these things, but um, just uh, for, for our uh, focus here this morning, um, what, what I think is interesting is, uh, first of all, that uh, verse 9 says, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. 
One thing that I love, the way my analytical brain thinks and works and functions and and my my, uh, tendency to be skeptical about things, I love that the Christian faith is completely unique of other faiths, that it is based on a historical event. A historical event that, and that may, you know, not sound very exciting to some people. Well, okay, someone says something happened in history. Well, how do you prove that anything happened in history? You, you look at, at documents, what people said back then, what, what followed afterwards, were there any eyewitnesses, and all these things. And, and unlike so many religions where there's, there's some guy that, that often the motives are questionable because they seem to gain a lot of power and pleasure and, and, um, and things out of being a religious leader claim that they had some experience with God or claim God told them something. And, and Christianity doesn't hinge on someone's claim that can't really be verified or has very weak verification. Christianity is based on a historic event that was incredibly public, something that, that, that the entire community, uh, it was all on display something that we have records and records and records of, and something that there's no explanation for what follows those, those people who were following Jesus. There's no explanation for them giving their lives, claiming that Jesus was raised from the dead. A miraculous event that, that uh, is kind of the ultimate supernatural evidence. When people say, well, if there's a supernatural God, I mean, the only kind of evidence that would prove a supernatural God would be supernatural evidence. What's more supernatural than, than something that we know that is so permanent and so definite, death, and that, that we can't do anything about that, that that is the evidence that God gives. So Christianity is super unique in those aspects. And Paul makes that, you know, points that out there in verse 9. Um, that we're sure because Christ was raised from the dead. That's, that's a lot of our, you know, we don't have a blind faith in the Christian faith. It's not a feeling that we have. The Bible says don't trust your feelings. Why? Because we're sinful. We're, we're messed up. We're tainted. We can be influenced easily. But it says our, our, what we depend on is, is um, um, it's not a blind faith. There's, God shows. He reveals himself. He shows evidence. Uh, the resurrection being the most important part of it. We'll celebrate that in a couple weeks. Uh, Number three, our old life was put to death so we could live a new life. Why in the world would we continue to want to drag up? And and, and I think the description is intended to make it that dramatic. What can you do with something that's dead? Nothing nice, nothing good, nothing pretty, nothing <laughs> you would desire. Why would you drag up? Why would you dig up? Why would you have something that's dead and try to have that as a part of your life? Now you have a new life, a new direction. It used to be you. I run my life. I'm the God of my life. Now Jesus is the God of my life. He's the Lord of my life. He's the king of my life. He's the director of my life. He's the boss of my life, however you want to put it. Um, and that's better, right? I, I, for me, it is anyways. I know that for sure. Because when Ben ran his life, and not that I've run it perfectly and allow Jesus to completely run my life, but um, as, as I strive for that goal, I know that is incredibly better and more satisfying and more life-giving. Uh, 
going on um, to uh, Romans 6, 11. Um, it says, So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. And do you see what he's saying is this is, this is the truth, and it's based not on just what we hope is true, but, but, it, but it's based on this evidence that, that Jesus is raised from the dead. It's based on the resurrection. And sometimes we just need to know the truth. We need to know what the reality is. That, that as he mentioned earlier, we, we forget or we're confused or we've never been taught. But this is the reality. And he goes on to say, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So the last thing to fill out there, number four, we were forgiven and freed to live for God, not ourselves. And, and I think a lot of people don't recognize this because it's deceiving. If sin wasn't deceiving and tempting, that'd be easy, right? It'd be pretty easy not to sin if you had no temptation to sin, right? I mean, just think about something you have no temptation to do um, and think, how hard is it for you to not do that thing? We could give some funny examples, right? Uh, <laughs> I have no temptation. My wife has no temptation to um, eat at Chukarama. Now, I do. <laughs> I actually enjoy it, <laughs> so I can't ever... If it's me and the kids, and they'll say this once in a while, hey, Dad, can we go to that, that place with the uh, all-you-can-eat uh, ices or Slurpees or whatever they have, you know. But, but for her, not a temptation. We're, she's good. She's fine. She would never step foot in there ever. Um, and so, and I think sometimes we think, well, how, can, how in heaven am I going to, that sounded like a weird phrasing too, how, when I'm in heaven, am I going to not sin? The temptation is taken away. It, and, and we live, as, as the Bible says, as, the, as Satan has influence here. And he tempts and he makes things look uh, uh, appetizing. Uh, but in heaven, that, that sin nature and that tempter won't be there. And that sin nature, us drawing us away from God, those will both be not there. So there will be no temptation to sin in heaven. And that's part of why, you know, we, we can know that, that we'll be uh, in a perfect place and perfect relationship with God and others. So, um, anyways, going back to, uh, to this, this uh, new life and living um, in your, not for your sinful desires, that's a part of, of what God wants to do with us here, to die to those temptations, to, to recognize, part of it's just recognizing. I, I think, I try to think of a, a good illustrations, and you may see what stage of life I'm in now. Um, I think, well, what is freedom in, in, in a good illustration? Oh, I know. When I was a teenager, you know when I thought I would get a lot of freedom? is when I got a driver's license. And then the driver's license wasn't very good unless I got a car. But if I got a car and a driver's license, man, I would experience freedom. 
And, and uh, I, I think a lot of Christians might be kind of like this. So, yes, I have a daughter who's got a per- learner's permit in the summer. She'll turn 16. And um, I think a lot, of, a lot of Christians are like this. You know, they, they really have received Jesus. They've received forgiveness. They've received this uh, new standing with God based on what Jesus has done alone. But um, they, they don't know. They haven't learned and they haven't. Uh, accepted how to to live in this freedom. And so, uh, hey, teenager, here's your car. Here's your license. You have some more freedom, some significant freedom now. And think of the teenager who has no concept of what, what to do with that car. Like, okay, well, I have this car, and I've been told I have freedom, but uh, it's just a car. What, what does a car do? How do I start a car? How, what runs a car? Or I, I guess it's me. I, all I've watched my whole life is Flintstones. So I guess this, this thing, it's a, a something that's supposed to be pretty neat. So I guess I better take it around with me. And I just envision like some teenager who doesn't know how to start a car, doesn't know there's an engine in a car that runs it. That they're just pushing it around, pushing it around town, pushing it to school and going, man, this is exhausting, but I guess it's supposed to be freedom or something. And, and I feel like that, I don't know, a lot of Christians don't, don't know or don't understand that, that is, it's not us and our, our, okay, we receive this free gift, but now it's our own effort that we use to, to live out the Christian life. No, the, the effort and the power, there's this engine uh, within us that is the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit, God himself, living through us that empowers us and moves us and motivates us. And Paul ends this chapter going, let God work through your life. Let the instrument of your body be something that God uses as an instrument for his work and his will. And, um, and I think that, you know, just another aspect of, of just not fully contemplating and understanding what God wants to do in your life as a believer can lead some people to go, oh, this message sounds great. And I'm so glad that I, I, I think I kind of have this confidence in, in heaven and knowing what will happen after this life now. But the Christian life, how does that work? How, does, how do we do that? And it is really giving up and saying, look, I did nothing to save myself. And it's not me that lives out the Christian life. It is God in me. And so I just am giving into his desires and his will. I'm good. And, and, and his leading. We better wrap this sucker up. Um, so number four, we already read that. One last illustration I want to share with you, and, I have, and then a short verse. Um, you know, I, I think... In some ways, as Paul is saying, be dead to sin. Don't pick that up. Don't live that way anymore. Uh, another way to look at it might be like a caterpillar. You know, what happens to a caterpillar? This incredible thing that they become a butterfly. And it's like as a believer, as a Christ follower, I'm now in relationship with Jesus. I've been made clean. I've been set free. I, I, I know my standing. I've been adopted into God's family. But I had no idea what these things on my back do. And I didn't know these were meant for anything. Uh, I'm just going to go back and crawl around and live like a caterpillar. Um, and, and it's just understanding what God wants to do in your life and how he wants to work in your life and what, the, what Jesus promised in John 10.10 10 is 
the, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life and to give it to you to the full. And that's his life being lived through us. Ephesians 4.22 gives us an encouragement of those people who have made that decision of what we do. What we do now in Ephesians 4.22 says, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And, and what a great reality and truth to know and embrace. That's what sin is. That's what a life being led by me and my desires is. It's lust, what I want, what I think. I mean, that's not how we're supposed to leave, live as believers, just giving in to any appetite that we have, any temptation that we have. Paul says, throw that away because that's your old, dead, sinful nature. But that's what sin is. Hey, this is enticing. And so I just am going to jump into it. And we're deceived. And it's good for us to just know God's truth and know that that's how, that's how Satan operates in our life. He makes something look more appealing. And then he, and, and it's a deception. It really isn't. And so um, Paul gives us some great direction in chapter 6 of living in Christ and being dead to this old sin.